Hi, I'm Dr. Andrea Davis. And I'm Dr. Antoinette Shields, and we are both female doctors of physical therapy treating sports and orthopedics in a male-dominated industry. In today's podcast, we will discuss Dr. Shields' journey to physical therapy. Antoinette was recruited to West Point by its soccer coach, which is not the usual path one would take from southern New Jersey to the Sunni Triangle in Iraq. Although only playing soccer her first year at West Point, Antoinette continued on and learned the first of many leadership lessons. They taught you how to take care of yourself so you could take care of others. On September 11, 2001, Antoinette was in her final year at West Point. Within 10 months of graduation, she was deployed to Iraq. The only female officer in an armor battalion, she earned a Bronze Star Medal for commanding more than 100 convoys and leading female search teams in some 50 raids. After returning to civilian life in 2007, Antoinette found her life's calling. Seeing that so many service members were coming home with missing limbs or brain injuries, she decided to help them on their long road to recovery by becoming a physical therapist. She began taking college courses, but with two daughters to support, money was tight. It was being selected as a Tillman military scholar that put her goal within reach. With tuition assistance, Antoinette received her doctoral degree in physical therapy from Newman University. This is Dr. Antoinette Shields. So Dr. Shields, where did you go to high school? I went to Eastern High School in Voorhees, New Jersey. All four years? All four years. And what sports did you play? Well, soccer was my absolute favorite. I started playing soccer when I was five years old and there was only boy teams. And I was the only, yeah, I was the only girl to play and the male dad coaches of the time would not put the girls in. So my dad got angry about that. So he got a book, he read how to coach soccer and uh, he coached my team the next year and he let me play the whole game and I got really good and I fell in love with the sport. And uh, yeah, my freshman year in high school, I started varsity, I was the only freshman to start. And I played on club teams, and I wanted to play in college. You were a striker, right? Medford striker? I was a Medford striker. How long did you play for them? I started playing for them in seventh grade, and I think I played... I think the team fell apart around my senior year. Rumor has it you still have your jacket, though. Is that true? I I do still have my jacket, and I'm very (laughs) proud of it. Sometimes I wear it. Yeah. I'm sure your kids love when you pull it out. They do. They're very proud. Proud striker. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. So from Eastern High School in Voorhees, you decided to go to West Point? Yeah. So I was, uh, when I played for the strikers, we went to a lot of college showcases. Um, I played in tournaments all over Maryland, Florida, at, at one of the showcases. Um, I, I was recruited by the West Point soccer coach. So I, I got a letter in the mail, and, and I was like, I don't know what this is all about. And I started looking into it. But that wasn't the only one, right? That wasn't the only school that was looking at you at the time? No. There, I was looking at... Duquesne and Rutgers and there's a bunch of others but uh, West Point really stood out and I think it stood out to my parents too which is why I was like oh let me look into this and see what this is. Go 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 Go
it took me on a whole new adventure that I had no idea what I was in store for. I was just about for. to ask, like, did you even know what you were getting into when you, you agreed to, uh, to go there? Not a clue. All I knew was um, I would be in the Army, which I was like, oh, that's cool. I like running around and working out. And um, during that time, it was, it was like 1997, 1998. There was nothing really going on in the, in the world, you know. There was no real it conflict. Wasn't time, is what you're no, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, you go to a great school, you graduate, you serve five years, you know, get to go live somewhere cool for a while, and then you're done or you stay in. And it didn't seem like a no-brainer at the time. And then uh, 2001 rolled around. and Yeah, my... Uh, my first D, that's what we call seniors at West Point. My first D year, that's when 9-11 happened. And that's when everything changed. So we all had a different future at that point than when we had entered college. And what did that look like for you on that day? I know we talked about it earlier, but... Um, that day, I remember we were actually on lockdown because they were afraid one of the planes might come towards us or we might be attacked at the uh, military academy. And uh, I remember we could see the smoke coming over the Hudson because we weren't far from New York City. And just thinking, um, basically, holy shit, we're all going to go to war. You know, we're graduating and however so, many months it was. So definitely a, a different perspective and a lot to process in a short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was, you know, scary, and um, but also, like, a huge amount of pride that we want to go defend our country. So when you graduated, you graduated in 2002? Correct. That, that following, right? Spring? Yeah, I was the bicentennial class of West Point. So when I graduated from West Point, uh, the day you graduate, I, I received my bachelor's of science degree, and I was also commissioned as a second lieutenant in the United States Army. And uh, George Bush gave me my diploma. Which we have pictures of, which is, yeah. is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay, so when we look at the resume working backwards from <laughs> from uh, your <clears throat> younger years, uh, second lieutenant, maintenance platoon leader, ordnance, Bakuba, Iraq. And yes. that was from September 2003 to July of 2004. Yeah, so I graduated in 2002. Uh, I had like a month off after graduation, which was very exciting. And then I reported to Officer Basic course, which was in Aberdeen Proving Ground, Maryland. And I was there until December when I graduated ordinance school. Um, stayed home for the holidays. And then in January, I packed up my truck and drove from New Jersey to Texas. And I had to report to Fort Hood. Um, I was with the 4th Infantry Division. And I was there until... I think the beginning of April is when I left for Iraq in 2003. When you look back on it now, do you think that you were fully prepared for that? I, I think West Point does a really great job of preparing its leaders. But I also think that I was 22 and I um, had no idea mentally or emotionally Super how young. to, yeah, how to like process anything. So we... We flew out of Fort Hood. We um, we started in Kuwait, which is where we got all our equipment and staged everything. And we actually convoyed from Kuwait into Iraq because we were the first people really taking over that area. 
So um, it was kind of new territory. We found our buildings we wanted to live in and kind of built camps out there. So 23 years old. Yes. In Iraq. Yes. Boots on the ground. Yes. Commanded a platoon consisting of 83 people and 47 vehicles with responsibilities including conducting risk management, impact, emergency, disaster recovery, and contingency planning and analysis on a day-to-day basis. So break that down. What is that in summary? <laughs> Those sound like very fancy words. My, you know, I probably had somebody help me write that. But um, yeah, so basically I was a maintenance platoon leader and we, I was with the 204th Support Battalion. And how the 204th Support Battalion worked was you had different companies. So there was like Alpha Company, Bravo, Charlie. And each of those companies, because it was a support battalion, you were allowed to have females. And each of those companies were broken off and attached to other battalions, which were um, combat arms battalions. So you would have one with the infantry guys, and that whole company would be living with the infantry guys and supporting the infantry guys. Mine... My company was Bravo Company, and we were stationed with the 167 Armor Battalion. So really, it was my support company living with a bunch of tankers. And what what I managed was the maintenance of all the vehicles in that battalion. So all the support vehicles, um, the tanks, we have a different a different, um, they were called CRTs that were attached to the different tank companies, and they would go out and fix all the tanks. Crazy town. <laughs> yeah. From what I was doing at 23. Yeah. A little, little bit different. I mean, I was mostly like, oh my God, I'm away from home for Christmas. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to continue though. So I was 23, 24 years old, completed one year combat tour with no loss of or injury to personnel and no loss or failure of equipment. You were selected to organize and lead over 100 convoys through the Sunni Triangle in Iraq, transporting personnel ammunition, food and supplies, responsible for constructing two Iraqi civilian defense corps, firing ranges, increasing the quality of training for ICDC soldiers. Yeah, so that was like the Iraqi army. So we were trying to help them, in essence, build up their military so that we could eventually leave. Um, But we helped them build like fire fire ranges. That, That was basically what it was. Organized and trained and led a female search team comprised of 27 soldiers for more than 30 raids and implemented a plan to turn in over 500 pieces of equipment, turning in over 260 pieces to the Army Sustainment Command in two weeks, diffusing potentially volatile situations where Iraqi females were involved. Yeah, um, because their culture, um, our male soldiers were not allowed to frisk or... um, you know, touch female Iraqis. So they would bring females. There was, you know, maybe a handful of us, but we would go on the raids. We didn't, we weren't knocking down doors, but the infantry guys would go in and knock doors, make sure everything was clear. And then they would bring us in to really um, frisk the females and make sure that they didn't have anything on them. Um, you received an above center mass performance evaluation. Yeah. You want to you talk about that? Um, no, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I did the best I could. And so, I mean, based on success in leading logistical assault convoys, supporting detainee transport, performing recovery missions and heading female search teams. Yeah. 
That's basically what I did. And then and then when I came back, I got uh, my next job I really liked. It was the battalion maintenance officer. So I basically ran the motor pool. And um, that was fun. It was making sure all the – whenever a vehicle went down, we had to make sure we knew what was wrong with it, make sure all the parts were ordered. I had to track all the parts. And then when they come in, make sure that the parts were put on, you know, as quickly and efficiently as possible uh, to make sure the vehicles were mission ready. And this was the one that uh, you said was particularly, uh, it, it, like, you feel really good about because um, you received um, recognition as the finest battalion maintenance control officer I have ever observed. Yeah, and the really cool thing about it was that there's not too many females in that role. So whenever I would go somewhere and they're like, you're the BMO, and I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> and they would just kind of look at me for a second. But I had, honestly, I had great... Um, I had a great non-commissioned officer, Sergeant Fry, and I had a really good um, chief warrant officer, uh, Mr. Cruz, um, and he was awesome, and they, they both helped me so much, and we, we had fun. And then um, Captain, which yeah. is where your where? slang terms in the office, Dr. Captain, Dr. Captain. Captain. Yeah, yeah, so uh, when I was a captain, I did, mostly I did logistics uh, for the rear detachment because I, I was pregnant with my daughter, my oldest daughter, Isabella, at the time. So um, they were deploying again, and I, I stayed back and managed all the rear. Yeah, so at the time, they, they had brought all our vehicles back from Iraq, and then um, we had to reset all, all the pieces of equipment. I think later they actually just left all the vehicles there, and the new units would sign for them. But because it was it was kind of yeah. new going over there, I don't think a lot of the systems were in place yet. Yeah, I mean, served as a logistical planner for the brigade after their return from Iraq and prepared for movement to Fort Carson, Colorado, from Fort Hood, Texas. Yeah. Well, so that's the thing about the military, too. So when you're in the Army, it's not like, hey, you're just in the Army and this is your job for 20 years. You you consistently change jobs and and move up as you're promoted so that's why my military resume has a couple different jobs on there and why I had to um, have it, I, I don't know, kind of transformed into civilian language so that when I was applying to jobs out of the military, people kind of understood what my responsibilities and my roles were. And, and the Army, I was, it's interesting, I was just watching a video on 9-11 uh, earlier today and um, they were saying how the army really doesn't give you time to process things. It's kind of like, all right, you know, this happened. You know, you just push it down and you keep doing your job, keep doing your mission. And, you know, so whatever happens over there, you kind of just bury it down. And then when you come home, you don't really want to deal with it. And that's why, you know, so many soldiers are coming back and having PTSD or drinking problems or, you know, committing suicide, God forbid, you know, but they don't know how to process stuff. I can imagine that transition from uh, military life to civilian life is not the easiest, let alone uh, having children while you're in the military and making that decision to, to leave the military life after you have children must have been challenging. Yeah, once, once I had my, um, my oldest, Isabella, um, once I had her, I, I did not want to leave her to go back to Iraq or Afghanistan, so... Um, I, I was lucky I didn't have to. Um, I had her, I finished my commitment, and then uh, transitioned out. 
And on that transition, did you were you thinking already about another career, or were you just kind of seeing where things went? When I transitioned out, I was married at the time, and I basically just thought, oh, I'll just follow my husband, whatever he wants to do, and, you know, I'll just take care of the kids, and I had... I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I thought I would stay home with the kids for a little while, which as it turns out, I'm not a good stay-at-home mom. And I, it lasted like about... I don't believe that. Yeah. It lasted a couple weeks. And I can remember calling my father on the phone like during the day when my uh, husband was at work. And I'd be like, I can only vacuum the house so many times. Like, I, I need to do something. I feel bad, but like leaving my kids to go work. But I had to, I had to just like figure out my career and what I wanted to do. So how did you figure out PT then at that point? Because um, I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting uh, transition, I guess, jump for a lack of better words. Well, there was, there was two things that really um, prompted me to look at PT. One was um, my stepdad. At the time, he's a nurse, and he was running a nursing home, and um, I was, like, looking for jobs, and he said, oh, my God, there's such a great job here. You would be awesome at it. And then he looked at the credentials, and he said – you know, you have to be a physical therapist. And the other thing that really drew me to PT um, was all the amputees coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan at that time. Uh, I wanted to, to help in some way, and I thought that being a PT, I might be able to help them with their rehabilitation. So because you didn't do undergrad though specific to sciences it made your <laughs> journey to PT a little bit longer than most yes yeah my journey was uh I, I actually mapped it out and at a couple points I was like ah, this looks like a really <laughs> can, long yeah, road I um I didn't have all the prereqs and some of my prereq grades weren't stellar so I redid a couple courses as well before I applied because when you uh when you graduated West Point what was your degree in my degree was in, uh, well, so you had a field of study there. So my field of study was art, philosophy, and literature. And then I had a systems engineering. It was kind of like a minor. So um, that, that's what I graduated So not, not science-based, really? No, not, not at yeah, all. More, more language and yes. arts, poetry. Yes. yes. And, and so when I decided to go back to PT school, um, I, I had to also get time um, in the field or whatever as a physical therapist. So I, I worked one day a week because my daughters were really little at the time. They were like one and three, I think. They were very small. And um, I worked at an outpatient physical therapy place one day a week for about a year to get my time while I was doing my prereqs. Sweet uh, yes. Lord. Yes. So. Impressive. It's a long time. Well, and not only that, the whole fear of what if I don't get into PT school after that because it's pretty difficult getting into PT school. And it's very I difficult was getting into PT school. I was further away from my bachelor's to the point where if I didn't get in soon, I don't even know if my bachelor's would have counted towards applying. Like <laughs> so, I was like an old. So so wait. So PT you student. would consider yourself old then. At that point, not now. I think I'm I'm very young right now, which is I mean not as old as something myself. I like to but... joke about a lot, but mm -hmm. no, mm -hmm. I mean I, I'm good. So you were an old student. You weren't 23. No, I wasn't. But a lot of the um, my classmates, I went to Newman University, and a lot of my classmates were older PTAs, uh, 
going back to school for their DPT. Oh, well, so good. I wasn't alone. No. No. And and it, it was really helpful. I met some really great people, and they had a lot of experience already as a PT. So. And you went weekends, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yes. It was basically every weekend of my life for about three years. Every well, that, weekend. That's not true. Um, my clinicals were full-time, so when I was in clinicals, but, but I did leading have up, my weekends off. Leading up to... Yes. To your clinicals. Yeah, correct. So, because I had my girls during the week. I actually got into Widener University originally, and I was going to go there. And then a spot opened at Newman. So, I took the Newman spot because I didn't want to have to pay for a daycare, like, during the week on top sure, of, sure. you know, school. So, you really wanted it, though. That's what it came down to. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did want it. Yeah. I, I need I. It's funny because... Uh, before, I mean, I was a good student in high school, college, not so much. Uh, but when I got to grad school, like I was sitting in the front row with my hand up. Oh, you're like, total it nerd. Was, so yeah, you're it was nerd. totally, it was my job. And maybe that's you know, the reason was, we get along so well. Nerd, yeah, nerd. I, I wanted to do well at something, I, I wanted something for myself. So, no, it's amazing. I'm glad you did. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I am because there, there's multiple times in my life where I. Um, contemplated not doing it and just I mean I had my bachelor's I was a West Point grad I could have just gotten a management job somewhere and I'm glad I'm really glad I didn't I'm really glad you didn't either thank you at least today we'll see what tomorrow brings yeah I know (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about your first job in PT or at least your your roster in PT when Mm -hmm. you graduated PT school Newman you went to well, so my last clinical rotation was at, it was called Marlton Rehab Hospital, which it's now Kessler, mm-hmm. um, but it's a cute rehab, and they hired me before I even graduated. It was because my last so round. Smart. Yeah. You know, I, I had fun. It was, it was a really great first job. It was, I learned a lot, uh, but eventually there, it was like a ceiling. There was nowhere else to move up. There was no... Uh, I had no other goals really to achieve in there, so I just started looking elsewhere to see what what my next you next know step would be. yeah my next mm-hmm. adventure my next step in my career, and uh, I landed in an outpatient facility as the lead therapist, but I didn't really have anyone teaching me outpatient physical therapy, which was kind of a you know, yeah, I, but that's, I mean, that's not new to you, really, between West Point and the, the military. I'm sure you figure out how to find your way. Yeah, I tried to teach myself as best I could, but I, I really didn't have anyone to look up to or any mentors to really guide me or my career at this point. So that, it's challenging, taking on a, yet again another new role, and except this time you were in a leadership position. So, you know, in charge, really. And not having anybody to, to go to must have been challenging, for lack of better words. It was, and at times I didn't provide, or I felt like I wasn't providing the best care just because my experience had been limited, um, and I didn't have anyone to really go to. So, um, Is that why you started looking? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was there, I think I was there about three years, but I had gone on multiple interviews from the time I was there because I just... I knew that wasn't where I wanted to stay. So I tried to, you know, get at, get the experience out of it that it was. And I kept looking for a right fit. So there was times where 
you know, I had offers and they didn't quite work out and I just kept, kept at my job and kept going on other interviews to get the experience of interviewing and just looking for something that would fit. And the, the, essentially, that's how we met, obviously. For anybody that knows us, that's how we met. And you came in for an interview, and, you know, as they say, the rest is history. But uh, there's so much more to dig into on, on that topic that we'll address it. It's a whole other podcast. A whole other podcast about how that uh, that's evolved to us working so closely together and um, trying to build something that's that's better than what we've both experienced in separate corners of the of our lives yeah for sure I mean um getting getting out of my comfort zone has been uh something I've done throughout my whole life and I plan to continue doing but it is definitely something that led me to apply at Davis physical therapy and really transition to that fast-paced sports orthopedic uh setting and it's probably one of the best decisions I've ever made I would second that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so we will continue with our uh, journey together, I think, throughout this, this podcast. Next up is going to be uh, you, I I'm going to interview you. <laughs> interviewing me. And I so can't wait. Definitely not as exciting as your background. Yeah, so right. We will, uh, we will see what the day brings. So until the next time, this is Dr. Andrea Davis. And Dr. Antoinette Shields. And we'll see you later.